One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Welcome uh, to the final Friday of March. Yes, that's right. As we edge ever closer to the Easter holidays and the opening of the economy and the pubs, by the way, uh, in just a couple of weeks' time, we've got loads to talk about this morning and we've got loads of great guests with which to do so. First up, we'll be tapping the big story of the day, the case of a teacher who has been suspended for daring to upset the Muslim community by showing a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad in class. I've got so many problems with this particular story, it's difficult to know exactly where to begin. But let me say this, OK? Any religion that forces a man and his family to go into hiding for fear of his life just because of something he said can only be described as totally and utterly intolerant and any religion that seeks to bar anyone from upsetting it or causing offense to its followers must be some kind of undemocratic cult there i've said it just exactly who do these people think they are they're outside the school again this morning demonstrating he's already gone into hiding he's already been suspended what exactly are you doing out there protesting against something that you think is offensive when nobody else does. There's no special cases here. I don't think there should be. We'll be talking to Ben Habib first up. He's got lots to say about the Northern Ireland Protocol, the EU's vaccine disaster, and we'll ask him about the Batley school problem as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, Sir John Redwood joins us following the voting through last night of the extension of coronavirus lockdown powers. We'll be asking him what the government needs them for. Brendan O'Neill also joins us after the National Trust decided they were right to investigate Britain's historical links to slavery. And we'll bring you the latest news from the NHS, which is apparently even less in danger of being overwhelmed by COVID than ever. Of course, we want to hear from you as well. Uh, We need your stories. We need to know what you're being told. We need to know what you're hearing. We need to know what you're doing. You are the eyes and ears of the independent republic. You tell us what you know, and we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 1000. And because it's Friday, of course, uh, it's time for the Perrier Awards in the company of Yorkshire's fire. Izzy Rowland. Uh, she'll be coming in to give an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting throughout the course of this week. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let's kick off straight away with our first guest, Ben Habib, co founder of Unlocked and former Brexit Party MEP. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I'm surprised, actually, that The Telegraph is about the only paper uh, this morning that's got this story on the front page. Williamson condemns threats against Mohammed uh, teacher. I know that we're going to talk about the EU a little bit later on. But this is an extraordinary sort of tale, this, isn't it, of a school in Yorkshire where people are being taught um, all sorts of things in, in religious classes by teachers um, about different religions. And Quite rightly, um, Charlie Hebdo and the cartoon issue came up. And quite rightly, the teacher shows the cartoon. I don't understand what all the fuss is about. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think people should be able to speak about any subject in any sense. Mm. Um, obviously, we need to treat each other with respect and courtesy as we go through life. Sure. But that should be dealt with in, by social norms. The man shouldn't be hiding, fearful for his own safety. It's an absolute idiocy that he should have been suspended for having that discussion and you know this is the problem not just with the debate on islam but also you know we see this right across the sort of political landscape at the moment whenever there's a belief or view expressed with which the mainstream do not agree and somehow islamic or islamism the dogma of islamism has now become sort of sacrosanct Mm. within mainstream um language you know you can't really say anything that would begin to question that ideology you know once it gets established nowadays you're not allowed to question it and it that just doesn't make any sense it, it drives the coach and horses through the principle on which our democratic society is built mm. which is freedom of speech and freedom of, of expression that doesn't detract 
from the need to be respectful of each other in a social in a social sense. Right. But that shouldn't be adjudicated on, you know, through some sort of public um, outcry. It's, um, it's completely wrong. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, I'm not looking to demonise a religion here, but why is it that certain people who are followers of Islam as a specific religion seem to think that they alone uh, have got the right to tell me what I can say and what I can't say about their God, about their prophet? You know, I believe I can say what I like about what I want to say. If they want to tell me that it's wrong, <coughs> that's fine. If they wish, wish to argue with me, that's also fine. Uh, but to tell me I can't say it is ridiculous. It is absurd and it should be stamped on. We shouldn't pander to it. We shouldn't make laws which protect their right to intimidate. We should be relaxing the laws. There should be, as it is, you know, um, you can only really be arrested if it's a hate crime. But we can see in Scotland, uh, you know, with the hate crime bill that's coming in in Scotland and the other legislative Mm. moves in the United Kingdom generally, that people are beginning to protect the right to intimidate mm. when people use freedom of speech to discuss sensitive issues. And that's got to be stopped. It's actually something that Lawrence Fox, you know, is championing at the moment. I don't know whether you followed his yes. reclaim party, but Lawrence is absolutely right to be championing freedom of speech, trying to debug this whole narrative um, that constrains our ability to talk openly about sensitive issues. Indeed. And, and some of those sensitive issues lately have included, uh, you know, sort of anti-lockdown scepticism, you know, where people have been, uh, you know, visited by the police because they've heard that they might have said something a bit untoward uh, about the vaccine or something untoward, you know, about the way that the, uh, the lockdown is being extended. And we've had an extension of the, the powers of the government last night. And it's a very worrying sign for me, Ben. It's very worrying. You know, a, a huge majority passed that COVID bill for another six uh, uh that, that covid act for another six months mm. and that is absolutely squashing our liberties and again without wishing to go back to Lawrence fox uh you know unnecessarily he was visited by police a couple of days ago who said that they'd had an unfounded allegation yes. that he'd been campaigning without a mask and they wanted to warn him about it so we're in a city where knife crime is at an all-time <laughs> high murder rates are 40 percent up and the police find the time to to visit lawrence's house to make an accusation on an unsubstantiated yeah. claim. It's just absurd. It really is incredible, isn't it, where we have come? I mean, I was uh, laughing and joking this morning with Julia Hartley Brewer saying, you know, I'm a bit upset this morning to find myself not banned by China, you know, uh, in the company of several <laughs> other uh, MPs. I'm going to do my level best over the next three hours to try and get banned by China. But, you know, we're acting like China. That's what we're doing now. Well, that's where we're heading. A- absolutely. And we've seen it's a progression, Mike, isn't it? it this isn't a... Uh, a, a seismic change. This has been coming incrementally for the last 20 years. Tony Blair started this movement towards the towards woke illiberalism, the inability to speak your mind, the damping down on, on, on individual liberties, a kind of infantilizing of mm. the populace, uh, really clearly so that the government has much greater control. So the ideologies they wish to perpetrate become unchallengeable. Um, Nicola Sturgeon does it in spades. You know, she's somehow cowed the entire Scottish civil service mm. and everyone else around her into f- not being able to criticise the SNP. It's almost like the SNP has become a religion in Scotland and you can't question it. Yes. Um, and, and we've got to stop this thing in its tracks. We've got to talk openly and unashamedly about our beliefs and challenge each other. And only through challenging each other will we get to the right answers? And I'm very happy to see that uh, an awful lot of people letting, uh, letting me know and getting in touch with me from all over the country saying, you know, we're not putting up with it anymore. We're doing what we want to do. And I think there's a growing number of people who are simply not adhering to the so-called lockdown rules because they've had enough. And, you know, normal life must resume sooner rather than it later. Must, yeah. Absolutely right. It has to. Now, let's talk about your, uh, your uh, legal action uh, over the Northern Ireland Protocol. But also, let's talk a little bit, uh, Ben, if we may, about the disaster that is now the EU. I mean, showing itself in every single way to be not fit for purpose. I mean, if it was a company and you're a, uh, a company man, you've run businesses all your life. If it was a company, you'd be shutting it down, wouldn't you? Well, it, it is absurd. Um, you know, they first they tried to block the, uh, block the vaccines coming into the United Kingdom by invoking Article 16 of the protocol, which we might come to in a second. Mm. Uh, something they said that, that they could never countenance. They could never countenance a hard border on the island, so-called hard border on the island of Ireland. Then they find actually that they don't believe in the AstraZeneca virus. 
uh, vaccine, sorry, and they've got 20 million unused doses of it. Then they move towards using the uh, vaccine and then they're unable to dispense it. And they keep talking, and I just want to debug this as well, Mike, while I'm on the subject. Mm. They keep talking about Europe is exporting uh, vaccines yes. to the rest of the world. It's not Europe. It's companies yes. in Europe that have contractual obligations to supply vaccines to other, co other countries. And it's Europe, actually, it's the European Union that is frustrating those contracts. It's not Europe through its magnanimous approach to global mm. welfare that's exporting these vaccines. It's companies in Europe. And AstraZeneca is working on a vaccine, the production of a vaccine that was discovered by Oxford University, a British university mm. with a British company, with a contract with the British government. And actually, if the EU interferes in it, I know there's a kind of ceasefire on the subject at the moment, but if the EU interferes in it, it is breaking contractual law. That's what it's doing. Yes, the EU is a complete bloody shambles. Yes. Forgive, I'm, I'm so glad. The no, no, I'm so yeah. glad you said that. And I will say, pardon your French, given that that's the normal yeah. thing that we say. But you know, the thing is, they started off uh, as my father would have described it. They started bad and fell away. You know, they started with an incredibly um, inexact um, demand for the vaccines. They didn't organise themselves properly. They didn't order them when they should have done, which meant that they then fell behind the UK because we actually got ourselves organised pretty well. They then tried yeah. to discredit. The, the vaccine on the grounds that it wasn't suitable for people over the age of 65. They then said uh, they were going to withhold it from us. They then said that they would give it to us only if we gave them something back. I mean, it's all they, over the place. They're, they're, they're literally, go I mean, every week, I think they can, this can't get any worse, but every week it gets worse. It's an absolute, it's an absolute shambles, uh, a complete disaster. And, you know, it, this is in the public's eye because vaccinations and COVID are so much in the public's eye. But this has been going on, Mike, mm. on a number of different subjects for many, many years with the EU. Yeah. It's just that they've happened to get away with it. And, you know, it's actually, I'm going to just move on briefly to the protocol. It's yes. what's happened with the protocol. You know, if you look at what they've done with the protocol is they use the same kind of uh, barrier to freedom of speech that we were discussing earlier mm. to make it virtually impossible to debate where the border should be. Or, uh, uh, whether it should be on the island of Ireland, the customs border should be there, or whether it should be in the IRC. They, they, they managed to get their narrative so widely and deeply accepted, their false narrative, I should say, that there can't be a customs border on the island of Ireland. Mm. They managed to get it into the public psyche so strongly that the Belfast Agreement prohibits a border on the island of Ireland, which, by the way, it doesn't. Mm. It does exactly the opposite. That even our own prime minister doesn't know the Belfast Agreement any longer. He makes representations in the Commons saying that there cannot possibly be a border on the island of Ireland. But in fact, the Belfast Agreement gave effect to that border. It put a border there so that people would respect the, the rights of the, of the people of Northern Ireland. That's why the border was put there as a result of the Belfast Agreement. And, but the EU is so good at hijacking narratives that that's what it's done on the, on the Northern Ireland issue. And then just, you know, just moving forward very quickly, they've exposed their jealousy, as they have done with the vaccine, through Northern Ireland. Mm. Here we have a part of the United Kingdom that is suffering greatly because it can't get goods from Great Britain. And instead of being sensible, pragmatic, as you might expect any counterparty to be in a, in a, in a, in a deal, they are actually prohibiting and standing in the way of those goods coming across. So all strength to David Frost's elbow for unilaterally suspending, uh, for unilaterally ex uh, extending the grace periods mm. so that those goods can at least be, to some extent, get across. But what we've got to do is learn from the EU's malign intent, the malign expression of that intent, the way that they've done it on the ground, and terminate that protocol. Yes, I think that's absolutely right, because whenever you see anybody from the EU talking, you can see the bitterness uh, in their face. You can hear uh, the nastiness in their voice and, and what they're saying. Myred McGuinness was on Andrew Marr on Sunday talking about how, well, you know, uh, Britain unilaterally decided to leave the single market. So naturally, why would we allow them access to that same single market in the same way? Well, why not? You know, why would yeah. you cut off your nose to spite your face? It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. She was poisonous, actually, watching on Andrew Ma. Mm. It was very difficult to watch. Yeah. And, and he, by the way, did not, not only did he not really question her in any way whatsoever on behalf of the British public, he didn't make a joke about the EU flag that was sitting behind her either. 
<laughs> Funnily enough. Yeah. But um, no, she's a difficult woman, um, if I may use that expression. Well, of course, you may, be, you may yeah. be accused of being sexist <laughs> if you call a woman difficult, of course. you know. But she is. She's, she's clearly not a very pleasant individual. Uh, the EU is not a very pleasant organisation. And thank God uh, for people like yourself, Ben, and Nigel Farage and everybody else that got us out. Yeah, she used to shut me down in Parliament. She was deputy speaker when mm. I was when I was an MEP, and I could hardly get a word in right. if she was sitting on the chair. She just mm. did not like it. No. But um, yeah, no. We've so what a, is we've, tell we've us a bit a, about your your legal yeah. action. What is it seeking to uh, to do? Okay, so the protocol, contrary to what you might read or hear from the EU or from the Irish government, the protocol is actually what breaches the Belfast Agreement. Mm. The protocol foists a new constitutional arrangement on Northern Ireland, which is not allowed pursuant to the terms of the Belfast Agreement unless it's got cross-community consent. And illegally on the 9th of December last year, Brandon Lewis, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, tried to vary the Northern Ireland Act 1998 by transposing into it the approval processes in the withdrawal agreement and removing the requirement for cross-community consent. And it is that is our central legal claim, that he's acted illegally in breach of a constitutional act, mm. the Northern Ireland Act of 1998, on which the Belfast Agreement was founded. What, what they've also done, Mike, and this, uh, th th this should be clear for anyone in the Union of the United Kingdom to, to, uh, to, uh, to to, to, to judge is that they breached Article 6 of the Act of Union 1800. Now, what, the, what Article 6 of that Act says, and it's fundamental to the integrity of the United Kingdom, is that every part of the United Kingdom shall be treated equally and that every citizen in the United Kingdom shall be treated equally. You'd think that was just a kind of obvious yeah. thing. But by foisting the protocol on Northern Ireland, They've left Northern Ireland subject to swathes of EU law in the EU's customs union, a border down the Irish Sea with the European Court of Justice as its supreme judicial body. They have basically made Northern Irish citizens second class citizens. In their and own country. That, and that's a fundamental breach of the Constitution of the United Kingdom. And it should never have been allowed. Mm. And it was allowed because the EU, together with the Irish government, weaponized the border issue cowed our political establishment into accepting wrongly that there can never be a customs border on the island of Ireland. We tried politically to get our government to unwind the protocol. I've written millions of articles on the subject, made lots of speeches on it. They wouldn't budge. And so we've been left with no option, Mike, but to take legal action on those two principal grounds. There's another ground which might amuse you if you've got a second. Yes. The other ground the other ground which we're fighting them on, and it is amusing, is that the EU is in breach of its own Article 50 process. <laughs> um, now, Article 50 legislates that a country can leave the EU pursuant to its own constitutional requirements. And that's the, that's the article pursuant to which the UK should have left. Yeah. But of course, the UK hasn't left because we've left part of Northern Ireland in the EU. Mm. So we're in breach, as are the EU, of, the own, of their own Article 50 <laughs> process. Right. And so that's another one of the grounds on which we're fighting them. Brilliant. One final <laughs> question to you, Ben. Two days ago, I was calling for uh, Boris Johnson to be replaced. I don't have a view as to how we would do that, but I looked at his, um, uh, his uh, media briefing on Monday and I just thought, this is not a guy who is willing and able to lead us out of this situation. Let us say that he's done well to get us out of Europe. Let us say that he's rolled out the vaccine brilliantly. But let us now look at somebody else to take us through into an opening of an, of an economy, which he clearly can't bring himself to do. What do you think of that? Well, I'm very intrigued that you said that the other day. It's been on my mind for some time, and I've been shy of saying it, but I'm going to say it now. This prime minister has no vision. He has no capability to plan. He has even less ability to execute a plan if he's got one. He lacks managerial skills, and he lacks complete leadership skills. He is, he is buffeted mm. from one event to another, we saw that through the course of last year, not just with COVID, but with Brexit as well. And he, you're absolutely right, Mike. I, I, this is the first time I'm saying it, but I think my, the, the Prime Minister 
needs to go. Mm. He is he he is damaged. He's damaged the United Kingdom greatly through the Brexit process, and only, that damage is only now beginning to be revealed. And he has damaged the country greatly through his COVID uh, policies, and he is continuing to damage it. You know, we we've had this one great success, which is the vaccination program, and instead of using that to get an economic advantage, to get the country open again, get us trading, minimize the already huge damage done to the economy. And don't believe what Andrew Bailey and Andy Haldane at the Bank of England say, we will not bounce back from this quickly. It's going to take a lot of planning, a lot of terrific management, a lot of good execution to get us out of it. And the prime minister is not up for the job. We are actually squandering all the benefit of the terrific vaccination program. We should be rolling back lockdown now quite aggressively. The bulk of the adult population have been vaccinated. For goodness sake, let us get back to work. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree with you more. Ben Habib, thank you very much indeed. Co-founder of Unlocked, former Brexit Party MEP. Echoing my words from the other day, the Prime Minister is not up to the job. He can't do it anymore. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, let us talk to Sir John Redwood, Conservative MP uh, for Woking. Last night, of course, the government did indeed get enough support uh, to extend its lockdown uh, restrictions and its lockdown rules and its powers over us until September. I'm going to be asking John one question. What do they need them for? Sir John, a very good morning to you. What do they need the powers for, Mike? Yes. Well, that's a good question. Mm. Uh, I and uh, a limited number of MPs voted against the six-month extension. We said to them... You've promised us that we will be largely free of restrictions by June. Um, that should be the latest at which you do that. We don't need to have these powers going on thereafter. Uh, and were something to go horribly wrong, were there to be a new case, a new need for stronger social distancing or closure of businesses, they should come back to the House of Commons and explain it. But I'm an optimist. I think these vaccines uh, look as if they're working very well. Uh, practically everybody who's most at risk is now protected and so we should be able to go on and free ourselves for a more normal life. Yes, I believe you uh, to be true on that one and I'm an optimist as well, Sir John, and I was rather hopeful about a month ago um, that because of the fantastic success of the vaccine, we might maybe see a, a rollout happening slightly quicker than the roadmap had suggested, mm. i.e., for example, I know that um, we were supposed to be able to eat in a restaurant, for example, on May the 17th, uh, April the 12th is still a date at which we can go and sit outside somewhere, but instead it seems to be going the opposite direction. We're getting told that, oh, well, the thing is now everybody has to be vaccinated and if they're not vaccinated in Europe, then we can't go there and you might not be able to go anywhere until July. And they seem to be pushing it further away rather than bringing it closer. Yeah, that's the danger. Now, I think there's a different issue with foreign travel and there are hazards in foreign travel because, of course, uh, they may have much more of the virus and they may impose their own rules. Uh, I've booked a holiday in England again Mm. and I look forward to it very much and I trust I will be able to enjoy that. But on all the domestic restrictions surely we must be in a position this summer to get rid of them Uh, that was the point of the vaccination it's a great tribute to british science and medicine that they've come up with a very successful uh, vaccination the americans have now given it a clean bill of health and said it will be very effective and so we should get the benefit from that we need to worry about the livelihoods being destroyed the economic pressures the jobs being lost businesses being crashed We can't go on like this for much longer. We need to get back to something more like normal. Mm. It's been suggested to me this week, and I've been saying that Boris Johnson does not look to me like a man who is filled with confidence about getting us out of this. And I wonder whether, you know, we might need a different pair of hands to do that. But putting that to one side for the moment, it was suggested to me that maybe they're worried about reopening the economy completely because of the damage that's been done that we haven't really seen yet i.e., you know, once the furlough ends and once people come back to work and they realise there's not as much business perhaps as there would have been because of the way that cities have kind of re-adapted themselves, if you like, is that a concern? I think that's too cynical. Um, I think what's happening is there's still a struggle going on within government um, and there are still too many people on the cautious side listening to the scientists and doctors And if you were a scientific or medical advisor whose main preoccupation was stopping the virus, you would want every protection to remain in place for as long as possible because that uh, greatly increases the chances that very few people or no people then get it. Mm. 
But the government has to balance that against all the damage done to everything else by the anti-pandemic measures. And the Treasury on this occasion needs a stronger voice. So the Treasury should be saying, we still got a lot of businesses we can rescue. We still got a lot of jobs that can be proper jobs again. The longer you leave it, Mike, the more likelihood it is that some businesses will say, you know what, I really can't restart. Mm. And some employers will say, you know what, I thought you had a job, but I'm not sure you do now. So let's get on with it. Exactly right. And what's your uh, belief about what will happen in September once these uh, rules sort of the, the, the run out again and they come back to us uh, in or come back in your case to you in Parliament and say, you know, are we going to do away with the rules at the end of September? Are we going to ask for another extension? What, 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 do, you, what do you think? Well, I hope they don't. And as you know, the legislation allows them to renew in, in six monthly chunks of time. And they use that as an argument against us and said, look, we need them for a little bit longer. So we need another six months. We said to them, you've got a majority. The opposition actually agree with all this. You could put through a one clause bill saying the powers only lasted for two months rather than six months. But they didn't want to do that. And then the health secretary said he couldn't even rule out needing to renew the powers in six months time. Now, that's where I and my colleagues say, surely not. Mm. Please be more confident in what you've already achieved. The UK has had this great success in finding a vaccine and rolling it out now to all those most at risk, um, greatly reducing the threat of death from this disease. So let's enjoy that success. Indeed. And what about um, Boris Johnson and his, and his ability to get us out of this? I, 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 when I was talking about it the other day, I was likening him to somebody who had done some great things. He'd got us out of the EU. Uh, he'd got the vaccine rollout uh, organised very, very well. He obviously had difficulties last year himself with, with his own health, uh, and it's not been an easy job for him. But I'm a great believer in, in, in sort of, you know, finding the right people for the right job. And I wonder whether he's now incapable of making a decision which is not based entirely on the advice that he's getting from the likes of Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vallance. I think he is perfectly capable of doing that. I've been a Boris supporter. He has the endorsement of the electorate because he was our leader and prime minister when we went to the general election. Uh, so I'm very much in favour of getting behind him. I think he has a very difficult job, but he is trying to balance the the Treasury pressures to get on with the economic recovery against the, the health and medical pressures to put caution first. And I'm confident we can persuade him in what I think is the, the right direction. And sooner the better. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, John, thank you very much indeed. So, John Redwood. Uh, and can I just point out that Please. I actually represent Woking Ham and not Woking. Uh, my apologies. I, I will I yeah. fire somebody on your behalf for getting that wrong. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sir John Redwood, Wokingham, uh, Conservative MP, not Woking. Uh, and as anybody knows, uh, there's a big difference between the two. Um, and of course, you wouldn't wish to be in the, one, in the wrong Pizza Express in the wrong bit of Woking, because that could be a problem. This is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. And let us, without further ado, uh, talk to Brendan O'Neill, a voice of sanity in the wilderness of madness that we've got out there. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, very well indeed. We'll get to the National uh, Trust very, very shortly. But let, I just wanted to get your view on uh, this story, which surprisingly is only on one front page this morning, Telegraph. Williamson condemns threats against Muhammad teacher. I mean... I don't know why people who are from the Muslim religion think that they are some kind of special case, that we're not allowed to, in any way, shape or form, ridicule uh, their uh, prophets in the same way that we ridicule the Pope, we ridicule uh, Jesus Christ, we ridicule other religions. Priti Patel was famously uh, portrayed in The Guardian uh, as a cow with a ring through her nose, which was particularly offensive if you're a Hindu. Absolutely. I think what's happening up at Batley Grammar School in West Yorkshire is really shocking because the school has capitulated to the mob. I mean, that's essentially what's happened, uh, that some uh, Muslim groups and some Muslim protesters kicked up a fuss about this school teacher who dared to display an image of Muhammad in a religious studies class. Mm. And 
the school has capitulated. It has uh, suspended the teacher, suspended the religious studies course. There are reports today that it's switched to remote learning, so no kids and uh, teachers are allowed into the school. So essentially, it has shut the school down in response to people who are offended by images of Muhammad. I'm sorry, this is not good enough. We don't live in, is, in an Islamic country. It is not an offense in this country to show a picture of Muhammad and to talk about Islam and to talk about Muhammad. So the school teacher did absolutely nothing wrong. Freedom of speech must include the freedom to talk about Islam, talk about Muhammad, show these images and have classroom discussions yeah. about them. That is part of freedom of speech, whether people like it or not. I know. And listening to some of the advocates of, uh, uh, of why they're upset, uh, listening to them on uh, Julie Hartley Brewer's show and, uh, and elsewhere this morning, you know, they seem to think that they're a special case and, you know, they should be somehow afforded, you know, kid glove treatments because, of course, the children would be terribly offended. Well, how do they know? Surely, as parents, it's their job to tell their children uh, that there are some people who don't actually believe what we believe and there are some people who don't actually live the life that we live because they have different belief systems. Absolutely. And these are all things that it is perfectly legitimate to talk about in a classroom with mature teenage pupils. They should be able to look at these images, have discussions about these images, talk about the rights and wrongs of them. That is a perfectly legitimate classroom discussion. Mm. And the thing that the problem is that the more that we um, put a force field around these kinds of things, the more that we say it's absolutely unacceptable to ever show Muhammad or to make any critical comment about Islam, the more we do that, the more we embolden the censorious mob because they will feel even stronger, they will feel bolder, they will go after more people who dare to offend them. So this capitulation fuels the culture of censorship and I think that's one of the most worrying things about what Batley Grammar has yeah. done. And you and your organisation at Smites Online there, Brendan, I mean, you see this kind of stuff every day where you are uh, more and more seeing people's freedom of speech being shut down, people being, uh, you know, kicked out of jobs, people being kicked out of universities, people being kicked out of public spaces because they have a view of something which other people don't think they should have. It's unbelievable. The, 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 the culture of censorship in this country is getting worse and worse, mm. you know, especially from the kind of woke left. And the woke left is not just a few crazy people on Twitter. Yeah. Lots of politicians, lots of institutions subscribe to this outlook. And it's an outlook which says some ideas are so dangerous or so provocative that they shouldn't be expressed in public. And what often happens is that these ideas will be branded as phobias. Yeah. So if you criticize Islam, that's Islamophobia. If you criticize anything about transgenderism, that's transphobia. If you're a Christian who believes that marriage is only for men or, or, and women, that's homophobia. Mm. So what we're seeing is the delegitimization of certain viewpoints and the depiction of them almost as mental illnesses because phobia is a, a form of mental Mental illness. So it's a very slippery, sly, censorious tactic. And what I think we've got to go back to is saying everyone must have the right to express themselves. Every religion and idea should be open to scrutiny. Mm. And that includes Islam. Yes, of course, because that is the way forward. That is where enlightenment lies. You know, you don't get anywhere if you start saying this is on the banned list. You can't talk about that. You can't read this book. You can't look at that picture. You can't buy this magazine and because you don't know where that's going to end. And Piers Morgan, in a way, was the victim of it because he dared to speak mm -hmm. out about somebody who claimed that they suffered from mental health issues which another another kind of uh, you know sort of holy grail that you can't criticize absolutely right you, you know well you're not no one's allowed to criticize saint megan you know she's the patron saint <laughs> of patron saint of wokeness and um you know that's also treated as a form of blasphemy anyone who questions her claims that she suffered from certain forms of mental illness on, on so many issues now, the parameters of acceptable thinking are, are shrinking all the time. Uh, they're being policed by these new culture warriors who tell us there are some things we can say and some things we can't. Mm. And all of that is contributing to a very censorious culture. I really agree with you that uh, progress depends on freedom of speech. You know, the, the, the ability to talk about all ideas, to weigh up all ideas, to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. 
that is what it means to live in a civilized society. I don't want to live in a society where people cover my ears and cover my eyes in case I ever feel offended. I don't want to be treated like a child. Right. I want to be treated like an adult who is capable of working out for himself, using freedom of thought, what is a good idea and what is a bad idea. Yeah, I find it extraordinarily funny because, of course, the wokery uh, business doesn't have a sense of irony that Prince Harry, or the Herbert formerly known as Prince, as I prefer to call him, has now taken a job with some uh, ridiculously, ludicrously named foundation in Colorado, uh, which is run uh, by James Murdoch's wife, uh, who's about as woke as they come. And she apparently has appointed him to be the arbiter of what is and what is not fake news. This comes hot on the heels of him and uh, Mrs. Uh, Harry admitting that they made up the story about getting married three days before they actually did. And you kind of go, you don't see any <laughs> irony here? They completely made it up. A lot of what they said just sounded a bit iffy to me, if I'm being honest. Also, they have not stacked up their claim that the British media is racist. No. They've not pr provided any proof for that. So, you know, they're, they're ones to talk about fake news. Yeah. But, well, I'm know, sorry, these are, let, let's, let's, let's pin this one right on them. These are the people who actually uh, made up headlines to make it look as if the headlines were worse than they were. Absolutely. If you look at that montage that they did during the interview, uh, lots of those headlines weren't from the British press. Some of them were headlines that were criticising racism yeah. against Meghan Markle that had come from some idiot on Twitter. But they were misrepresented to make it look like mm. the British media had launched a racist onslaught against Meghan Markle, which is completely and utterly untrue. So, so they have manipulated the news agenda themselves yeah. in order to pursue their own their own worldview. So. To have someone like him, to have those kinds of people dictating to the rest of us what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, that is like a sick joke, and I think a lot of people will see right through it. Absolutely right. Now, let's talk about the National Trust, talking about a sick joke. I mean, we were all slightly aghast earlier in the, uh, probably last year, actually, uh, when the National Trust decided that they were going to conduct an audit of themselves to see whether or not um, the links to slavery that some of the, ho the houses and the properties that they ran uh, were untenable uh, and should either mean that they should um, make some kind of explanation available to the poor people who might be offended by walking around these beautiful homes, uh, um, and they've now decided, having investigated why they did it, that they did the right thing. <laughs> of course, you know, they're giving themselves a pat on the back. Brilliant, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's bizarre, you know, this whole, the self-loathing that has gripped institutions in this country is really quite shocking. Yeah. And I'm sure lots of people and lots of your listeners will find it actually really disturbing and creepy because what we have are all these you know, great institutions who, who ought to be doing great things, the National Trust, the British Museum, the Natural History Museum, these are important institutions. Mm. And they've spent the past year in a state of self-flagellation, beating themselves up over their historical links, telling us all how disgusting their founders were and, and how, how closely they were linked to slavery and colonialism. There's this fashion for self-hatred amongst the cultural institutions of this country, and the National Trust really embodies that. What we want from the National Trust is good protection of important buildings in this country. We want them to welcome people in, to show us around, to give us the history. We don't want a woke lecture on how disgusting the United Kingdom mm. and its history is. That's not what the National Trust exists to do. So it's changing its whole mission and lots of people are going to drop out as a consequence. No, exactly right. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see that uh, uh, the woman who's done this particular sort of uh, thing, Hillary McGrady, uh, says that her biggest mistake was allowing the slavery slavery report to be conflated with the Black Lives Matter movement and she seems to have at least worked out that some of the people who support the National Trust who give it large amounts of money over the course of time were not particularly happy about this audit of you know our terrible history. Yes that's right and I think she's right to express, express regret about that because it did all get bound up in that rather hysterical moment when people were tearing down statues and putting graffiti on Queen Victoria and Winston Churchill. There was that kind of orgy of weirdness that took over the country yeah. during the Black Lives Matter explosion. So the National Trust should have made it clear that they were not part of that from the very beginning. And their failure to do so, I think, will haunt them for a long time because it did look to a lot of people like they were trying to join in this fad for bashing Britain, for saying that British history is terrible. It's one crime after another. It looked like the National Trust was joining in that movement. So they do need to distance themselves from that. But I think they have to go further now and they really should get back to 
their origins, and mm. their origins is to be an institution that that preserves the history of this country and explains it to people. Yeah. We don't need another woke outlet that is constantly telling us about the terrible things the UK did. That's not what it's supposed to do. No, of course not. But of course, the orgy, as you say, of, of, sort of self-flagellation goes on because not a million miles away from this very office, uh, the statue of Thomas Guy, which sits in a quadrangle in the middle of Guy's Hospital and King's College uh, Training Hospital, um, has been still is still covered up. It's behind wood. You can't see it. This is the guy who found Guy's Hospital and St Thomas's Hospital. He was a philanthropist. He created the hospital for poor people who couldn't afford to get health care. He saved many, many lives. He was a, 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 an icon in many ways of, of society at the time. Um, and yet he's now sort of being derided as some kind of ghastly monster because he might have made some money from the South Sea Bubble Company, um, which had an, 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 a, a sort of an affiliation with slavery. It's really disturbing, you know, this this year zero mentality where people want to cleanse the past of any people or statues mm. that don't measure up to our contemporary moral outlook. It's really a regressive thing to do. It reminds me of when ISIS used to go around to all these yes. ancient cities in, in Syria smashing yeah. up statues. Well, do you remember the were... Taliban did it as well, didn't they? They blew they up those, the those beautiful statues that were in some caves near, um, uh, near the Hindu Kush and they just blew them up. Yeah, the, the, the Buddha statues, they blew them up because they thought they were offensive, they were archaic, they didn't fit with the Taliban outlook. And of course, ISIS did the same in Palmyra and various other places. The, you know, what we have in the UK and also in the US is a woke version of that. We yeah. have these um, zealots, these political zealots going around, tearing down monuments and statues that they find offensive and trying to cleanse public life of anything that they find disagreeable. That is incredibly arrogant, very censorious and really regressive. We have to accept the fact because, you know, we are supposedly intelligent people. Mm. We have to accept the fact that people in history had different views to us about women's rights, about issues of race. They had some dodgy links. I mean, I thought we always understood that. But yeah. at the same time, we were able to recognize that even those morally complex people still did good things. You know, some of them were philanthropists. They set up hospitals, as you say. So th this unwillingness to accept that history is complex and instead this desire to just wipe it all away is very childish and very backward. It really is, and it needs to stop. Brendan, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Brendan Neal, editor of Spiked Online, making an awful lot of sense there, as he always does, about the ludicrous nature of this kind of navel-gazing that's going on now in this country where people are not content to look at a building and admire it. I mean, I'm looking over here at the Tower of London, where a magnificent building dating hundreds of years old, right? Uh, there's a place called Traitor's Gate, uh, where people used to be taken in, uh, in a boat from the river inside the Tower of London. And quite often, do you know what happened when they got inside the Tower of London? They were executed. Sometimes publicly, sometimes privately, sometimes in pretty hideous ways. Sometimes people used to torture them. Do you think we should knock it down as a result and not look at it and not talk about that and tell everybody how awful it was all like uh, those days ago? Absolutely ridiculous. No, it's called history, by the way. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.47 and it's time for this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, that music may sound familiar, but the next voice you will hear uh, will be less familiar, although she has done it before. Uh, it is Izzy Rowland. Welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And welcome to the Perrier Awards, for which you are now responsible. I believe I am, For the rest yes. of time. Oh, gosh. So uh, I don't know if you can handle that responsibility, <laughs> but I'm sure you'll be absolutely brilliant at it. Well, you know, I follow in big, very big shoes. You do? Um, you do? You know, so, um, Marta, if you're listening, mm -hmm. uh, we, when, you're not too far from anyone's <laughs> mind. But, She's uh, not, that's very true. <laughs> uh, so, welcome to the Perry Awards. Thank you very much. Uh, this is where we look back on the so-called Independent so Republic. Called. Of uh, Mike Graham. Indeed. Uh, uh, <laughs> you you put me off. Why? I'm not saying anything. 
I'm not doing anything. I've got a script, Mike. Don't okay, interrupt. Sorry, sorry. That's what I do, though. I, I'm used to interrupting. I'll yeah, try and well. keep quiet. I'll look straight ahead. Go on, you carry on. So, well, there we go. And uh, I think it basically leads us very nicely into our first Perrier. So, following tradition, the first Perry Award goes to you, Mr. Graham, uh, for the interruption of the week. The only excuse I'm hearing is, is this fear of a, of, of a variant that's going to be resistant to the... Uh, the vaccine. Yeah, but there's but no me, evidence for that, but, but, Andrew. Let, let me finish, Mike. I will. Uh, you know I let it, you finish, Andrew. I'm not one of those interrupting people. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Bridget. I wasn't sure who that was at first. Oh, yes. No, Andrew yes, Bridget. Very mm. good. Well done, Andrew. Yes. And it obviously... I love it, it when they say, let me finish. I yeah. mean, you know, they've got plenty of time on this show. Yeah, that's I true. always let them finish. <laughs> you do that, Mike. I do. Um, and also, disclaimer, I should give myself a Perry Award um, because I got... Um, Sir John Redwood's title wrong today, so yes. I, you know, I, I fully. Well, not much. You only got ham wrong. Well, I mean, yes. it was Woking ham. You should have had it instead of Woking. Yeah, that's it's easy mistake to make. It is, but I'm, I, you know, I want to, I want to admit live on yes. air. you know, it's important to admit your mistakes when you make them. That's true. Very good. Well uh, done. Thank you. <laughs> so next in line, the Perry Award goes to caller Jan in Cheshire for the smooth talker of the week. Hi, Mike. How are you Absolutely doing? Love your show. I think you're brilliant. Thank Can't you. Can't wait for the Republic of Mike Graham to take effect. Top, top, uh, top talk. Yes. Top banter, yes. as they say. I think so. Very good. Thank you, Jan. <laughs> I think she likes you, I Mike. think she does. Um, Who can blame her? <laughs> you do have a way. I do. You know. <laughs> Um, so, uh, this next award is the Scientific Advisor Party of the Week. Why don't they create their own party called The Geeks? I'm not voting for The Geeks, I can tell you that for now. <laughs> that was great, the geeks. the geeks. He's right, though. That's Dan in Epsom, isn't it? it I mean, is, yeah. absolutely right. The Geeks, that's what they should call themselves. Yeah. Put themselves up for election. The See geek, if we want them. The Geek Party, The Geek yes. Party, yeah. Mm, I, wonder what they'll, I wonder what the manifesto will look like. Well, it would just look like a geek, wouldn't it? <laughs> a pair of glasses, you know. Like you, then. They're very similar. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking to our favourite royal correspondent, Angela Levin, mm. the Duke and Duchess of Netflix new brand was discussed. The, this perrier is the Mark Bukowski uh, Brand and PR Guru Award of the Week. And Sussex Royal, I was saying, I was talking on Talk Radio and Patrick Christie's show yesterday, it's kind of one of those phrases that sounds like a cheap knockoff. Shout, uh, sort of gin that they're trying to sell to Americans, you know, Sussex <laughs> Royal, you know, it'll make you feel, lift your spirits. <laughs> it's a good slogan. Sussex Royal. He's had two jobs since then, hasn't he? He's he got has. two jobs now. Mm, well mm. done, Harris. Hazza. Yes, good one, Hazza. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what his CV says. Well, it's quite short, isn't it? Yeah. You know, went to Sandhurst, uh, <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, oh, yeah, went to the army for a bit, yeah, mm. that's it. Yeah. I mean, empl- employability skills, I don't know, maybe... Yeah. What was it that first attracted you to the uh, sixth in line to the throne when you <laughs> thought you'd give them a job? <laughs> I mean, really, oh, what gosh. a joke. Mm. But maybe, maybe he brings in the uh, the press. He brings in the moolah, is yeah. what he does. Oh, yes, that's yeah. what he does. That's true. Because mm. all these Americans are going, oh, my God, like we could go and meet a prince. God, <laughs> save us. He'll help us with our mental health. Mm. Anyway, well, <laughs> off you go. Hopefully that that's 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 his job role, I it believe. Is. So, yeah. um, so Mike, I often sit and watch in awe. Um, you know, obviously on the other side of the glass, people about, do. Yes, about how yourself and obviously Ian Collins, you know, do so well, and obviously Julie Hartley Brewer and mm. the rest of the presenters. Mm. Uh, you know, you do so well at kind of like presenting and yes. you know doing what you do best. Yes. However. Ian Collins got himself a little bit flustered yesterday when he misgendered a guest. The next award is the Ian Collins Award of the Week. Uh, well done uh, for the introduction, Ian. Manon Aubry is a French MEP for La France Insoumise. Have I got that correct, more or less? Insoumise, there we go. Uh, Manon, good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I, I misgendered great. you as well in the entire Brilliant. piece there as well. Nice to have you with us. As I said it, I thought as much. Um, Come on, tell you. So he got her. He got. So he thought she was a man. Yes. That's he not. Did, that's yes. not good, is it? it? No. That kid had gone horribly wrong. Yeah. But he recovered well. Yes, he did. Yeah. You know. I, I think you have to bat them away, and mm. then you know it's how you recover. Basically. It is exactly yeah. right. Mm. Exactly right. Uh, so Ian stole the limelight from you, uh, Mr. Graham, with a cough of the week. <laughs> Helena Nicklin, the man coughing behind me. I'm sorry about that. You've ruined apologize. everything. I do apologise. Co- you've ruined it now. I love the fact that he went, I thought the microphone was down. <laughs> yeah, well, except the cough was on the Richter scale of about 8.4. 
That's why we heard oh, it. Oh gosh, did he pick it up from from yeah, here? Yeah, his Whoa. mic was off. Wow. You know, that's Ian, how big, that's, big that's of a loud coughing. Cough. Yeah, also, don't come in here coughing. I mean, you know, mm. it's in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. James Well came in and sneezed. <laughs> you know, shocking state of affairs. Maybe you bring the, you know, you, maybe you kind of like set an agenda. Yeah, where they people... said it was my aftershave. I mean, you oh. can't smell that, can you? No. 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 Not like I wear that much. No, no. Mm. Boss well, today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody's asking. Oh yes, if anyone wants to send Mike Graham a present, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. all, all, all gratefully received. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, independent Republic uh, favourite uh, Peter Hitchens joined us for his weekly discussion. Mm. What we didn't bargain for was the sound effects. Uh, this award is for the building work of the week. Change the political atmosphere of the country, mm. and people will do this. And I very much sympathise with the police when they're attacked. I always... Uh, yeah, coming live from a building site near oh, you. Oh, gosh. I did wonder about that mm. because I thought, surely it's going to stop. But it didn't. Uh, no, it went on the whole, the whole interview. with yes. People chucking planks out windows and all sorts. Well, scaffolding, you know. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, th- yeah, I think there was definitely some sort of metal pole that banged yes, uh, somewhere. there was. Uh, so finally, mm. uh, per- this Perrier Award uh, is for you, Mike, for the Diva of the Week. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of, of our advertising, but we've got to get, we've got to pay for it somehow. You know, I don't come cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Mm. Well, you don't come you. cheap. I don't. No. no. I mean, some would say I do. I mean, compared to some others. Yeah. There are others who are more expensive than me, as really? I've recently found out, which has not pleased me. Well, that's another story. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> But anyway, oh. thank you very much, Izzy. Thank very you well done. Me. Oh, lovely. We look forward to next week. Uh, and there will be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.